This episode is brought to you by Peak, the blockchain for real-world applications and home of DPIN. If you think it's time for Web3 to get real, check out their website at peak.network. That's P-E-A-Q.network. Hello, everyone. Daniel from DPIN Hub over here. And today we're here with Ali from Natix, an amazing project. And I'm super happy to have him on our podcast. Basically, the Natix Network is a blockchain-based and crowdsourced camera network that aims to create a real-time map of the world using AI technologies and edge computing. It's a super interesting project and it's super hot right now on the DPN ecosystem. That's why I'm so excited to have him in space. And there's a lot of cool things that we're going to get you guys up to speed on the Natix project. Thanks so much for joining, Ellie. And can you introduce yourself a little bit for our listeners? Yeah, thank you, Daniel, for, for having me. I've been watching your podcast for, 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 for a bit right now. And I find it very, very interesting. A lot of really good guests, good questions, you know. So, so it's, it's one of the go-to podcasts, I think, at the moment that are happening for people to follow. A few words about myself. So Ali, co-founder, CEO at Natix. My background is I studied wireless communication. I have a PhD in wireless communication. As far as I remember, I have been building Internet of Things systems. That's why when the, the, one of the first OG deepens happened, which was Helium, it was it was right up my alley actually, and I was actually working with Narrowband IoT at the time that Helium. So on the on the R and D side, I was I was building on Narrowband IoT, and when when Helium happened, I was like, okay, this is this is this is exactly how I see the industry also evolving. And later on, two three years later, or four years later, we have we have deepened right now. Worked a lot in the autonomous driving industry. Funnily, actually building something very similar to what we're building with Natix Network right now, which is called local dynamic maps. Essentially, we used a lot of optical sensors of the vehicles, like gliders, like cameras, in order to collect real-time data. And when I say real-time data, it means you can only do it with edge computing. We're not talking, you know, when you're collecting pictures and sending it to the data uh, you know, centers and then using Nerf to put the stitched images together. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking literally real-time data or, you know, a second or millisecond latency. And then, yeah, uh, a little bit down the road, I, I joined Pricehouse Cooper, did a lot of technology consulting on, on blockchain and IoT, met my co-founders there. We were building a lot of insane stuff. My my co-founder, CTP, he built a ZK identity solution in 2016, 17. So you can imagine, I, I didn't even know about ZK and this guy was 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 building with it. Homomorphic encryption and, and a lot of things along that line. In 2020, we started Natix. So that's kind of the, the story of, of me and Natix. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, you guys look like the precursors of a lot of things, right? Like ZK before people start talking about ZK. I, I think it started, as I don't know, two years ago that actually started picking up this idea like the zero knowledge proof of everything and then getting quite big. That's super interesting. Thanks so much for, for the intro. Talking a little bit about Natix, can you provide an overview of the project? And for how would you explain actually for a kid or like a, someone that doesn't really understand the technical aspects of it? Yeah, very good challenge. I love the challenge actually. So let me try. Essentially what Natix Network is, or what we do is that we are combining or we're using cameras as well as AI, a part of AI, which is called computer vision AI, to create um, a digital twin of our world, a kind of a real-time representation of whatever happening in our world. It's also called real-time maps or a real-time digital twin. And the camera is completely cloud source, uh, so anyone can just contribute with their smartphones, uh, eventually with their car cameras, with their drone cameras, 
And the AI is what we have developed in the past four or five years within Natix, which we have, you know, we have filed a patent on. It's a, it's a unique technology that can, that is so optimized and so efficient that can run on your smartphone, for example. So this is what we're doing with, with Natix Network. I don't know what you think for a five-year-old, but that was, that was my first attempt. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Let's say you have, you studied a lot about the PhD in wireless technologies. Your, your co-founder also had a lot of technology into like blockchains, IKEA, et cetera. How did everything evolve to the point of creating the company or the project of Natix? Like there's, I can imagine there's like a compound interest and compound knowledge to the point that, okay, now let's build this like decentralized mapping, real-time mapping of the world. How did that happen? Yeah. So we started the company 2020 and actually what we worked heavily with was AI and edge computing. Edge computing, I don't know if, if your audiences are familiar with it, but it essentially refers to computation, storage, or analytics that happens nearby where the data is collected, right? So in case of your phone, it would be on the phone in some, in some factories, it would be a little, little edge computer that is placed in the factory, you know, or in multiple locations in a factory plant. In terms of 5G stations, we have edge computer on the 5G antenna, right? So essentially the idea of edge computing is to reduce latency. You don't have to send the data to the data centers, increase privacy, because many times you don't have to transmit all the sensitive data. You can just do on-device computing and just transfer the inside found from the data, right? Which we're doing as well. Bandwidth, which, you know, if you want to, for example, stream video data or, or, or pictures, it's extremely bandwidth consuming. So this was something that was, I worked very heavily with. It started the autonomous driving industry using it. Then it kind of propagated into the rest of the world. So we started building edge AI technology and the AI being computer vision AI, that means any the AI that processes the video and images and the edge computer being mostly for CCTV cameras, right? So that was kind of our service offering. We built this technology, which is the USP of our technology is and was that it's privacy compliant. We filed a patent on it. It even stops the cameras from generating personal information like faces and number plates. It has the highest grade of privacy compliancy made for the craziest uh, laws of privacy compliancy, which is GDPR. You, you have heard of it. We started packaging our product, our technology in different forms of, in different products. First one was actually because when we started the company, COVID hit, so it was COVID mask monitoring. It's still yeah. somewhere in the, in the Natix crowds monitoring for, for law enforcers to kind of know where the most crowd is and where the least crowd is to kind of, you know, put their units there. Parking spot monitoring, security surveillance for, let's say, power grids and nuclear power plants and so on, very critical infrastructure. And then we realized a deep in problem, what I call today a deep in problem, which is that these CCTV cameras that we were working with are quite expensive. They cost $6,000 per device to deploy. And it's a big CapEx investment for everyone that wants to scale. So we wanted to go from a 30, 50, 100 camera project to 2000 camera projects. It was a, you know, it was a big, big a commitment for our, for our end user. So at that point we say, okay, why don't we try to create the helium for smart cameras. That's literally what, what, how, how we kind of made our pivot because we saw it's not scalable that the, the end user has to put millions of dollars into building the infrastructure and there is a better way. We have seen it. It has worked with, with uh, wireless technology. This device is based on that. And, and why can't we also do it for, for camera? 
And on the other side, I genuinely believe camera is the most powerful sensor you have out there because when you combine it with computer vision AI, it turns into a super sensor. It can detect with one sensor, you can go into such a depth and you can detect cars, bicycles, pedestrians, roads, buildings, even complex events like traffic congestion or, or, or you know, available parking spots. So all in all, this made even more sense to create such a decentralized sensor network, which is a camera that uh, can run AI technology today would be today's applications tomorrow would be the the, the future generation of, of computer vision AI and uh, you know collect this geospatial data or create that real-time dynamic map that I was I was thinking about so this was 2022 by the way we had uh, revenues uh, from this AI product customers and then we decided to, to to pivot into native transfer which made our lives much harder but it was the best best decision, I say, that, that we have taken during the lifespan of our company. And then we went to Techstars Accelerator Program, which they're the second largest accelerator in the world right after YC. And they really helped us with pivoting because they have experience. Actually, they're very good, especially with pivoting. And we went through their Smart City Program. So they really helped us with the go-to-market strategy and, and, and you know, what we're building. And then we graduated three months later and we knew exactly what we're going to build, which is this product, the mobile application that we have built. We started working on that and, and I think around one year later, we launched a product, which is, as you know, it's I think one of the most exciting part of our project. It has a lot of uh, traction already. It was it was labeled, I think last year by the Masari's report. I think we're number five in the fastest growing different projects out there, simply because of our smartphone strategy. We're very bullish on smartphones, by the way. Yeah, exactly. People haven't heard me saying it. Yeah, no, I believe that, especially nowadays, even an older phone can do a lot of things already on the edge processing side of things. One question that I like to ask projects, can you tell me about the name Ynetix? Where does it come from? Oh, so, yeah, so, so we started building this ZK identity solution, which we started building a protocol on top of that. It was, you know, it was for attributes and information exchange. And then we, we tried to find some sort of an acronym that made, that sounded good. That's kind of where the name comes from, but I'm not going to go into details because it, it doesn't make much sense for Netflix is doing today. But yeah, we just, we created the name for our company and we just stuck with it. It's, it, it sounded nice. So we, we kept it. Definitely. It's a great name. I think Netflix, it's easy to talk. It's, it's very memorable. It's easy to communicate and it's a, it's a, I think it's pretty, works pretty well. What are you guys making, like before having the idea of smartphones and cars, what are you trying to do, like a stationary cameras, like for CCTV, and then you pivot into the car? Correct. The edge device, which we had, was a simple edge computer. It's basically the size of the palm of your hand, usually equipped with either Intel or NVIDIA's AI accelerated chip. And you just connect this basically box into any camera. You can actually connect it into multiple cameras. We we are so optimized that this one box was basically analyzing up to six streams. So it could be six cameras, one AI or six AI different detections for one camera or any combination in between. So yeah, you just have this box that you retrofit into any any CCTV camera or IP camera to, to better say. And we bring the computational capability and analytical capability right next to the device. That's, that's kind of, that was our, you know, product and value proposition. And I think we reached somewhere, you know, a few hundred cameras before we pivot, but then 
we made the decision to go. We are definitely thinking of going back to CCTV cameras. We do have a plan for it in the future, but it's hardware. It's not scalable. I keep saying that, you know, it's not as a scalable. Yes, in the bull market, people go crazy to buy your hardware. I know that. But, you know, for what we are building, it's not scalable. For many business models, it makes perfect sense. For what we are building, smartphone is the first choice. Yeah, I see a lot of projects that you don't need to buy an extra device that they grow faster, right? Like it's it, it, it reduces the friction of people trying at least. Because if I don't know your project very well, I can just like give it a try, get a code, like invite code, install the app and start using it instead of actually having to, to go and buy a device. 100%. But buying a device in Deepin is a cash cow. Uh, and I mean it. And hey, have I ever thought about, you know, holding a device just because it, it makes revenue, although it's not needed? Yes, I have. And that has been, you know, our competitors is doing the same thing. But yeah, you know, it's a decision that we made in order to, you know, claim that position in, in terms of fastest growing Deepin project. And I, and I still believe and I'm still behind my decision. Yeah, I mean, of course, I, I believe that some deep in projects you need to have a, like a hardware because you're doing something very specific. Like, for right. example, ATOR, you definitely don't want to run something like that on your phone. I mean, although you can, depending on what you want to do, or if you want to have a LoRa hardware, you're not going to necessarily find an alternative solution for that. So therefore, you can either build your own, which is very interesting, just buy like a Raspberry Pi, buy like a case that you can have with LoRa, but you still need to have that device actually. For pictures, you don't necessarily need it. Uh, there's a lot of other projects, you know, like Silencio or Grass that you can just install an app or like a plugin in the browser. And what we've seen in the, in the past few months is that those projects that don't have that extra friction, they can grow very quickly. They can amass an amount of users that's insane. Like, uh, so that, that's, a, I think, a, a really good advantage over other deeping projects, right? Exactly. I think a project that did it very well, by the way, as a hybrid solution is uh, Demo. I know the founders also quite well. They have this kind of hybrid hardware versus no hardware solution. So if your car is able to provide the car data through certain, you know, OEM apps and so on, then, you know, you, you can actually connect with, with, with that. Obviously, I think the data that you can provide is limited and they have adjusted the reward, if I'm not wrong, according to how much data you can basically provide. And if your car doesn't support that, or if you just want to, you know, get their hardware and, and have less friction, then with all means, you can also get their hardware. So that strategy, I think it was what I personally also believe, you know, a hybrid strategy wherever it was possible, it was given a chance to do. That's why also Demo grew actually relatively yeah. by very big numbers as well, although they're a hardware company. Yeah, if you have a, you have, a, for example, a Tesla, right? They, they tell you to like, no, don't buy the hardware. There's no need to that. Tesla API is amazing. By the way, Demo was the third episode that we recorded on Deep in Hub podcast. So I would like to invite you guys to go check it out as well. The interview with Alex that explains everything about Demo. And yeah, you guys have been talking, right? Building, trying to build some synergy there, some partnership as well. I think there's a lot of cool things happening between Deep in projects. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Very, very, very competent, very cool team. I know, I know Alex, I know Andy, I know the rest of the team as well by now quite well. And yeah, we started essentially looking into this thing as a, as a, as a consortium and, you know, we have a common target users, although we have different applications and different end games, but we have a common target user. So that was one of the things, one of the ways that we wanted to collaborate. The second thing is, uh, we're also chatting right now, demo, uh, physical hardware presence in the car 
is a good way for us to validate certain things like locations, like, you know, the data and to avoid a lot of these, let's say, uh, cheatings that could potentially happen. Because Deepin, I think one of the hottest topics in Deepin that nobody is yet talking about is how you can build a system that is reliable, data validation essentially, right? Or the metadata that is attached to your data. So we're talking location, we're talking in our case, computation happened right, we're talking that the video was right and it wasn't a dash cam view or something like that on a YouTube. There are all these things that needs to be validated and, and uh, you know, I think that's where a lot of collaboration can happen. You know, you have a project like GeoClick, you can use them in order to get higher location precision and, and authenticity authenticity of your location. You have Demo, which you can kind of do the same thing. And, and, and you know, I think for us and Demo, it was a match made in heaven because they're already present in the cars and we have the same target users at the end of the day. So yeah, and you know, we were working on it. So a lot of, a lot of uh, exciting stuff happening soon as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just talking about your Deepin project, there's so much happening in the background that it's hard to even follow the space, right? That's actually one of the reasons why we decided to, to pivot into from fleet management into the Deepin hub, try to actually bring the education and try to bring what's happening in the space because it's just crazy and it's just getting started, especially, right? Going back to your data, the data produced by the cameras, the phones, etc. who will be the customer of that use case on the demand side? Yeah, so um, we have a few, let's say, customer categories that, that we are also, you know, closely, I would say, collaborating with. We're not at a stage yet. We haven't monetized the data, but uh, we we're getting much closer to that. And step one for us is, you know, this is what we have also done in, in, in Natix before pivoting. We usually build something together with the customer. Right. So it's very important for us to stay connected. So one of the customer groups are maps and navigation companies. Essentially, they can grab a lot of dynamic map content. It ranges from uh, mobility objects to to less dynamic, uh, let's say, content, which is, let's say, damages on the road surface or potholes, faded road markings and so on. So these are quite, quite important. They really need this data sometimes in real time. And that's why, you know, Natix can add a lot of value. On top of that, uh, you know, we can just provide coverage in places that is hard for them. Because we are a smartphone, we can just provide that coverage much quicker, much faster. The other ones are autonomous driving companies. We have a very interesting chat over, over for example, a few interesting data types. One of them is dynamic traffic signs. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are parts of the roads and some traffic signs that they change dynamically. For example, when you have a construction, for example, because of the weather condition that you have and so on. And this is something that is very hard for these companies to cater. And it's becoming a regulation in Europe, at least I know, that if a car wants to go into uh, level three autonomous driving, I think even level two, if I'm not wrong, that they need to have this kind of data with a certain precision. So they need to assure that they have this kind of data with a certain precision before they can go to that level of um, autonomy. So this is another kind of customer group. Another one is infrastructure and smart cities, anything related to the infrastructure that is out there. So traffic sign inventory for asset management, any kind of damages on the infrastructure, if there is a broken traffic light, if there is potholes, faded road markings, cracks on the road. These are all kind of very interesting for the, for the cities or for the infrastructure, let's say, company that are in, in charge of managing these. And then 
Last but not least, we have other location-based services, let's say parking management, targeted ads, you know, a lot of these side applications that have less to do with, with let's say the core of geospatial data market, but they're also not, not, not very small in terms of profitability and the money that yeah. they can generate. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's, I think that's good to hear, right? Because I think one of the hardest thing talking to Zipping projects, I was asking, what is the demand side? Because making, getting hype and getting people deploying is okay, is one thing, but then actually making 100%. the data, the data useful for something else, that's something else. That's, that's the different story then is usually much harder, right? Peak is a layer one blockchain designed to power Deepins. Why do Deepins choose to build on Peak? It's fast, scalable, low cost offer builders are ready to deploy Deepin SDK and it's multi-chain. So when you build on Peak, you're building for all Web3. Peak is home for the fastest growing Deepin projects with more than 100,000 vehicles and devices deployed, over a dozen Deepins already building and the world leading device manufacturers such as Boss partner with them. Think of building a Deepin, Peak has a grand program for Deepin builders. If you're listening to this, remember you're early. The Peak Network will launch in the first half of 2024. Check out Peak's channels for more details and links in the podcast description. Just wanting Daniel, I think another another very different approach that we have taken towards this question, and we knew it from day one, is that uh, for us, the phase one of data monetization would be back to the drivers. And this is extremely important, and I would say a key differentiator when it comes to other projects. So. What we're doing is that we are using the data that the drivers are generating, working with partners in order to bundle them into services like navigation, like parking availability, and injecting it back into the into the drivers that are using the app, right? This is very important because it makes the, it first of all, it adds more utility for the drivers, right? This is the good old web two way of uh, keeping your users active, even if you're not paying them for the data, which we are, right? But in a bear market, when the, let's say your token price is not doing well, it's very important for you to have utility for your users. The other thing is that it makes your supply side also your demand side or your early demand side, right? And then the third thing is that because these applications, let's say like parking, their network effect applications. They use the data of the network in order to improve the quality of service. They create what we call a flywheel effect. You have heard of this in Deepin, but a flywheel effect for us means that, an example, when you have more drivers, they generate more data, let's say in a certain city, and that would improve the quality of parking service in, in let's say Lisbon or New York. And when you have a better uh, service that pulls in naturally more drivers in that area, right? Because they're interested to just download the app and use the parking, not necessarily just, just because of the earning aspect of it, right? So this is a very strong flywheel effect that, you know, I haven't seen it in many other, uh, actually, I haven't seen it in any other Deepin project. Correct me if I am, I am wrong. And I think this would be a rare case to have, but extremely powerful and potent for a good ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, I usually say, I try to say that a good Deepin project, it's a project that would work without a crypto behind it, right? Like, I mean, Demo, for example, like, I want to see information about my car. There's some warning in the dashboard I can be able to read from the OBD2 connector or, or Helium. I want to, I mean, if I want to be deploying actually sensors, it's much easier nowadays to just use the Helium network than go talk to my Vodafone or, you know, T-Mobile and ask for their IoT solution that's very specific and have like private SDKs and it's super hard to connect. One thing that you touched already is about the edge computing. And I would like to hear from your words, 
how does the edge computing improve in, in terms of the data privacy, right? One thing is you're taking pictures and or sending or streaming the whole data, the picture, the video, et cetera, to the cloud, or just actually the metadata that you're collecting from the edge computing. Exactly. The latter that you mentioned. So this is a, a big topic in computer vision AI or any project that has to do with image collection and video collection. You are not allowed to collect people's personal information, which is faces and number plates from the public, especially as a centralized entity, right? And this is problematic. The people don't like it on, on one hand. On the other hand, the regulatory bodies are going to come after you and you're essentially, you know, violating GDPR. Just to give you an example, there was a computer vision company that got a 20 million euro fine, I think one year ago or two years ago, just from the oh. Italian justice system. The rest of the countries haven't yet made their own, you know, kind of cases against that. So it's an extremely sensitive uh, topic. Yes, in many jurisdictions, nobody cares, but in many jurisdictions, this is an important topic. And at the end of the day, I think it's just a matter of time. It's, it's a sanity factor. If you want to have a camera project, you need to respect the privacy and that's going to become, become more and more common. So that's, that's with why privacy matters. And, and, and then we go into edge computing. So in computer vision, we actually have a term, it's called edge vision or edge computer vision, right? Essentially, the idea was to one of the biggest uh, advantages is privacy. Instead of you collecting the pictures and videos from the camera, wherever that camera is, sending it all the way to a data center, which is thousands of kilometers away, probably even in another country, right? If not in another continent, then processing the data there. And in this path that you have, and you know how internet works and where you're going, and it can be, you know, a lot of things that can happen to your data, although you might have encryption, which I would challenge a lot of it is, is also non-existential or not even good enough. Instead of doing all of that, where you're risking, first of all, collecting people's personal information and risking people's personal information until you're sending it to your data center and maybe you're deleting it later. Instead of doing that, you bring the AI, which is already on your data center and you bring it to the device and you train the AI to look for things that you're interested, right? Let's take an example. Our AI is looking only for cars, bicycles, pedestrians and traffic lights and traffic signs and so on. It's not looking for anything else. And what it does is that it looks at the frames of the picture in real time and says, hey, I saw two cars, five bicycles, two pedestrians. The cars were on the light right lane. The pedestrians were on the left side. I detected, you know, so some granularity, we call them metadata and form, you know, kind of create a JSON file from this, which is like a text message and send this data outside, right? So there is no information about who this was and nobody can even backtrack this. Like if Daniel was there on that crossroad or if Daniel was not, there is no way for me to even backtrack that information. I didn't even collect any, you know, pictures of, of, of Daniel at all. So it saves you the privacy factor. It's much more privacy compliant. On top of that, it also saves you bandwidth. Just to give you an example, the fact that we are using edge computing technology, and I know this, this number is true. A heavy user that is driving, you know, eight hours a day, a trucker or a taxi driver is using between seven, 800 and 1.23 gigabytes of data per month. Let's say 1.2 gigabytes of uh, data per month. Projects with the same type of users that are collecting images or street level imagery, there are between 50 to 200 gigabytes of data per month, right? That's why you also sometimes have to wait until you're home. Or, you know, it's so expensive that some of the fleet operators, they just put the SIM card in as well. 
internet wasn't made for streaming pictures and videos, for sure. This, this, anybody will tell you that's why people started to build edge computing in IoT sector. So yeah, this is why we're, we're bullish on edge computing since, as a company since 2020, I have been building edge computing solutions since 2013, you know, starting from autonomous driving industry, which is the same thing, by the way, in the autonomous driving industry. Imagine if the video was broadcasted outside the car and the decision was taking place on the cloud and you just detected an accident. You're dead by the time that <laughs> the latency of this thing going back and forth, you're dead. That was another reason that, that you know, um, autonomous driving industry said, okay, we need to create a sustainable edge computing solution. And then within edge computing, uh, Daniel, is not so easy of just creating efficient AI on one device. We have this hybrid edge cloud solution. So some of the workload happens on the edge. Some of the workloads in general happens on the cloud. So it's a lot of complexities that comes into building a sustainable edge computing solution. It's not just, hey, I have a little data center that I can just push some AI model on. It's 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 far more complex than that. Definitely. Yeah, uh, thanks for the, the explanation. I think it's, it's important for people to know, right? I think a lot of people really care about privacy more and more throughout the, the years that we see with the internet and everything that's happening. Um, shifting gears a little bit, let's talk about the tokens. What is that for me? How does the NTXT token works and how can I earn some tokens by mapping the world? So by the way, we, we are we are renaming the ticker. It's called, we just released it today as well. It's dollar Natix. It's just easier to remember as well. Yes. So, is so it just, just a disclaimer there? Yeah, easier nice. to speak. And then so Natix token or dollar Natix. How can people earn it? We have two ways that people can earn Natix. One of them is by being a contributor in terms of data collection. How? Download the app, start driving, put the phone on the dashboard of your car, collect your spatial data, earn reward, right? The app is more than that. It provides you utility. It has a very interesting gamification, which we just launched 15th of November. And people have shown a lot of love for it, which I'm very, very happy. We worked a lot on it. So, so it's, it's also, you know, it's, it's a good, interactive, nice experience that the users are going to have within the app. So that's number one, that's way one to earn Natix token. Way two is if you're not a driver, if you're not, let's say, if you don't have the chance to, to, to drive and, and, and collect data, then what you can do is that you can join our Zili program. Many people in crypto already know what Zili is. It's essentially a community involvement and management kind of thing. So we have allocated a certain amount of Natix. That is also going to go on, on, on Spice. So we have a lot of good news. We're basically aligning our Zili within the app. So we want the entire community of Natix, let it be drivers or non-drivers, to be working towards the same missions with the same kind of style and, and, and framework. And yeah, so these are the two two ways that the users can contribute to Natix and earn. Nice. And I can imagine that later you guys are going to be working with Dexes and Sexes. And, and also if you someone just don't have access, like you said, to uh, the platform or don't, don't want to don't have a card, there's a lot of people don't even have cars as well. Might as well just like can, can trade and buy the tokens because it looks like Correct. something that has a lot of potential and, and future, right? Um, Correct. Correct. Yeah. I would like to hear from your words. What would be the main advantage of using a cell phone for mapping instead of like buying a dash cam, a hardware or something else? Okay, so advantages and disadvantages of using a smartphone. Advantages. First of all, what you have in your pocket is a sensor hotel and an extremely powerful computer. All right. You have cameras. I mean, many of the modern phones, they have cameras that 
you know, you could not even imagine. They're so good right now. Let's take an iPhone or, or these new guys. I'm, I'm, I'm an iOS user, so I don't know the latest Samsung models, but, uh, you know. Pixel uh, guy here. here. Okay, so Pixel guy. Anyway, all of these phones, they have very good camera. They have communication module. So we're talking Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, cellular. They have narrowband IoT right now. Some of them, by the way, this I know as well. The new ones, they have gyroscope, they have GPS. So a lot of these sensors that it's very important for any deep end company to have, right? Because in our case, we're also using multiple of these sensors. We just don't use the cameras, but we're also using the GPS to, to location stamp the, the data, right? Regarding the computation power going to edge computing, people might not know this, but phones since 2016, 17, they have AI accelerated chip. If you have an iPhone, you are on a bionic chipset. Uh, which is since iPhone 11, any iPhone has it. If you are on Android, you're running Qualcomm Snapdragon or some similar chipset. And these are extremely powerful. They can run any kind of AI on the device with a very high efficiency, right? So what you have in your pocket is, is more powerful than a supercomputer that, that IBM made, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So that's number one. It's a very, uh, you know, powerful device that you have. Number two is that it's extremely accessible. Everyone has it, right? So we have, I think, eight or nine billion smartphones. And even if we say, okay, we're just taking the fraction that has AI accelerated chip right now. As of today, we have around 1.5 billion devices with AI accelerated chips, right? So this is an existing market, which the friction between you and them to onboard a node is just to convince the guy to download the app and use your, use your smartphone. No logistics, no production. No COVID attacking your supply chain, nothing, right? <laughs> so this is another reason. Another reason is people don't buy iPhone to get a Lambo. You know, the ROI is already there. You buy an iPhone because you can use it as a messenger. You use it for your Instagram. You use it for work to get called, to take calls. So the ROI is already there. And I'm not expecting this iPhone that I bought to, to buy me a Lambo. Versus when you're selling hardware, you are making those expectations, right? If at least the hardware doesn't pay off for itself, it's going to make the community unhappy. And crypto is about making the community happy or unhappy. So, so yes, if your token price is doing extremely well, you're good. But as soon as your token price goes down, everything will, will suffer. Last but not least, you can offer a lot of utility back to your drivers. You have a gateway with the drivers, with the digital touchscreen. And for example, what we are doing, you can gamify the user experience, you can provide navigation, you can provide dash cam services, you know, you can provide a lot of these other utilities through that gateway back to your drivers. Now, what could be the disadvantage with all, you know, transparency? Some older phones, for example, could uh, overheat, right? Newer phones don't really do that, especially if you build an optimized app, you can very much control this. We have optimized our app drastically if you talk to our users they used to have some some small you know problems what the team was working in the past few months just to optimize on every layer you can imagine we have we have tried to to optimize not just from the ai detection but from any other thing that happens in the app as well then the other thing is yes with the smartphone compared to hardware we have a little bit more of a, a friction for convincing our users to put it up every time right this is also a kind of a node disadvantage, but we're addressing, for example, this disadvantage versus a set and forget device uh, by providing driver assistant features like dash cam, like navigation. So make it good enough that they want to put it up there. Uh, gamifications, 
we just launched missions as i told you it has been it has been very very successful and yeah essentially with, with a couple of other let's say approaches that we have how to remind the driver to put it up and use the app so and all in all said i just wanted to also wrap up is that yes it is true that with the set and forget device you have it you don't touch it that there's nothing to do but we're talking 1.5 billion smartphones that's the market cap you're not going to compete yeah. with that you cannot make 1.5 billion devices otherwise you're the same size as apple i mean forget about it right and for a good global deep into work, if you really want to go global and we don't want to be local, we probably need a couple of hundred million devices, you know, for a lot of applications like ours. So that's why we, even with the disadvantages that are there, I think there are ways to make them better, to remove them. And the market cap is large enough that it's attractive for, for any project to consider it. Yeah. I mean, I also think that this advantage that you mentioned, they are temporary for many reasons. First of all, the, the phones are getting more and more powerful as we speak, as we every year. There's a lot of people who have older phones, right? And those older phones, they can be a set and forget device. They can keep it on the car as well. It can become like, you know, back in the time when you had that that little GPS that you always kept in your phone to tell you where to go, that can be that extra phone. And very soon those extra phones, the old phones are gonna be phones that already have the AI chip in it. Because you know, if people yeah. change phones, I don't know what's the average, maybe every two years, every time on the next phone that they're gonna be using, the old ones, they're gonna be set in the car, then that one's already gonna be ready for all the edge computing, all the things that you guys need. So it's just a short duration problem and that's gonna be solved with time. And in the, this time is also very short. So I don't think it's gonna be a big issue on that end. So, you know, in a way we're going for the kill, right? You're going for like a good, a good project overall. For a closing question, how do you see Natix evolving in the next like year, five years? How do you see the project evolving? I think a couple of exciting things that we have. Well, let's talk about first next year, and then and then we are going to go even further than that. So we have the token launch. We worked a lot, Daniel, on our on our token. We took our time. Nobody really saw anything except the total supply of the token and rough allocation chart that was there. But right now, I think we have a very, very strong tokenomics, which we're going to publish it soon. And then we're going to go out. Essentially, we build it uh, around kind of more or less three main pillars. And I think tokenomics is, is not the only factor for the success of the project, but it's, it is important at the end of the day. We build it around three main kind of logics. First one is that the token will incentivize people to do physical work. Second one is that we will incentivize people to hold on to the token as much as possible. That's what you want to do in any, any good project. You want to have incentives to either use the token within your ecosystem or to hold it as much as possible. And a significant portion of the value generated by the network will accrue to the token. And there are different ways how to do that. I think we took a, we took a little bit of a different path than a, than a lot of projects did so stay tuned for the full tokenomics we're going to have the token launch a few months later than this big launch of the app where the reward system is activated which i'm quite excited we just went on with the news release today and then i think we have a lot of really really strong opportunities which we have worked with you know and we have built native network when it comes to data monetization right phase one of data monetization would be to work with certain partners to bring in driver assistant applications to the app, like parking and navigation and so on, which we have very, very strong partners already on that. So stay tuned. I'm not going to say more because some of the staff are still 
confidential from our side, but it's going to be, I would say, very good for the for the for the demand side of the network. And then at the same time, we are also, you know, chatting with really big giants for for providing data to them. So 2024 is going to be uh, a year of uh, supply side as well for Natix Network. So to kind of show that the supply side can be as strong as the demand side. And then from there on, I think my vision and our team's vision is to become the biggest crowdsource camera network in the entire world for the reason that I mentioned, because camera is the strongest, is the most powerful sensor that you can build on, right? So I think right now, in terms of connectivity, 5G is the most powerful kind of infrastructure that you can build on. And in terms of sensor network, camera is the most powerful infrastructure that you can have. So that's the vision. That's the vision for the next five years. And we would like to expand to other types of cameras, drone cameras, CCTV cameras, car cameras, a lot of things that we have been building, which is not yet publicized. So, so yes, yeah, stay tuned. Some of these will also come, by the way, some other types of hardware will come in 2024 uh, as well. Very, very highly likely. Amazing. That's super excited. I'm so excited to just follow up what you guys are building. Where the people that are listening can know more about Natix, a Twitter, website, etc. Where do you guys publish all the updates? Well, go to our website, natix.network, into the blog section. Any big announcement that we have, we usually have it there. And I think another source of truth uh, to be updated about Natix is our Twitter account. So at Natix Network, if you go there, you will see all of the latest announcements that we have and, and uh, whatever is hot about Natix Network. Otherwise, if you want to join, and, and earn, I would say, download the app in App Store or Google Play or join our Zili program. And yeah, I think now is the perfect timing for people to actually join our network because we haven't launched the token yet. So there's going to be a lot of interesting perks for the people who are still, I would say, not the first stage early believers, which were the guys from last year, but the second stage early believers. Yeah, of course. Definitely check it out, the website and the Twitter account. Also, I'm going to be putting on the description of this podcast a link for you guys to join the Natix program and download, of course, the apps and the website, everything's going to be there. Ali, thanks so much for your time. I think it was a pleasure talking to you. I'm super excited for what you guys are building. 2024 is definitely giving me like goosebumps and all the exciting things that are coming. And I'm just super hyped to see where this space is going to go. Thanks so much again. Thanks everybody for listening. And yeah, check deepinhub.io and let's go. Thanks so much. Have a good one, man.